In Genesis 10, you can find a genealogy of nations that came forth after the great flood in Noah's day. Three sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem, went out to colonize the earth. Japheth colonized Europe, Shem the east, and Ham, Canaan, and Africa. Ham had four sons, Cush, Mizram, Kittim, and Canaan. Three of them went to their allotted inheritance in Africa, while Canaan disobediently settled in the land of Israel, the inheritance of Shem. Canaan had many children. Genesis 10, 15. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Senite, and the Arvadite, and the Samarite, and the Hamathite, and afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. Canaan's second son, Heth, traveled north of Israel into modern-day Turkey. Here he founded a city and named it Hattusa. Over time, the city grew in size and prominence. Over 400 years after its founding, the land of Hatti, as it came to be known, was invaded by a northeastern tribe, later called the Hittites. And after a long campaign against the Hatti, the great city of Hattusa was sacked and destroyed. And by 1650 BC, the complete Hatti people were subjugated and incorporated into a new empire called the Hittites, and with at its head, a rebuilt Hattusa as its capital. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 44, The Hittites and the Fall of Troy. The Hittite Empire would grow in dominance in the region of modern-day Turkey, being known for a strong central government, strong military dominance as seen with their sack of Babylon in 1595 BC, and the near defeat of Ramses II. They were known to have had early ironworking in their empire, and were vastly experienced in chariot warfare. Their empire settled and spread east to the sources of the rivers of Mesopotamia and south to Syria. Here is Will Durant's description of them. The Hittites were among the most powerful and civilized of early Indo-European peoples. Apparently, they had come down across the Bosporus, the Hellespont, the Aegean, or the Caucasus, and had established themselves as a ruling military class over the indigenous agriculturalists of the mountain peninsula, south of the Black Sea, which we know as Asia Minor. Towards 1800 BC, we find them settling near the sources of the Tigris and Euphrates. Thence they spread their arms and included Syria, and gave mighty Egypt some indignant concern. We have seen how Ramses II was forced to make peace with them and to acknowledge the Hittite king as his equal. Clearly the Hittites were a force to be reckoned with. The Hittites had their own set of laws, similar to Hammurabi's, and were excellent record keepers, as evident by the abundant clay tablets that have been discovered by archaeologists. They spoke an Indo-European dialect, and like most absolute monarchies, suffered from dynastic disputes and fought many internal wars for leadership as well. As the Hittites grew in power, they went on massive armed raids. In 1595, 
The Hittites, with their numerous chariots, swept down the fertile, fertile crescent and sacked Babylon and raised it to the ground, leading to what some call the Babylonian ancient Dark Ages, because we have little documentation of the civilization there for hundreds of years. No attempt on occupation, but plunder. The Hittites returned home with abundant spoils, with King Marcellus cementing his place as one of the greatest kings in Hittite history. By 1380 BC, the evidence has been discovered of early iron working, which we'll discuss in the next episode. Reaping what they have sown in the same year, Casca invaders attacked and burned their capital Hattusa to the ground. Putting this in a biblical timeline, it's interesting to see this decline of their fortunes since it is only 17 years from Joshua's northern campaign, which the Hittites may have physically or militarily supported considering the vast quantity of chariots lost in the battle per Josephus. But when you look at the Hittites at the verge of collapse, it's amazing to see that King Sumalumbius I came to power and defended and expanded the empire by sacking the Batani capital of Wasakani, and by 1285 the Hittites were at the peak of their power. Soon after, the Hittites fought Ramses for control of Syria, catching the listeners up to our timeline of about 1250 BC. Now would be a good time for an overhead view of empires in this time period of the world. Egypt held huge territories in eastern Africa and parts of Canaan. Ehud and Israel rested in peace in the remainder of Israel. The Hittites were to the north in modern-day Turkey. To the west was the strong influence of the Mycenaean civilization, which took over dominance of the eastern Mediterranean after the destruction of the Minoans. To the east is a strange mix of Babylonian, Assyrian, and Mitanni empires, which each is vying for influence. Neither seems to last in dominance over the others for more than a, a few hundred years. Further to the east, the Shang dynasty still ruled Egypt, and the Indus Valley civilization was still reeling from its collapse and possible invasion by northern tribes and people. So what is fascinating to me is as fast as the Hittites rose in power, they disappeared from history. This is what Will Durant says. The Hittites disappeared from history almost as mysteriously as they entered it. One after another, their capitals decayed. Possibly because of their great advantage, iron became equally accessible to their competitors. The last of these capitals, Carchemish, fell before the Assyrians in 717 BC. So most scholars believe the Hittites eventually fell to outside forces, especially from the north, peoples that few historians have any data or archaeology for, who eventually gave away to other empires in the Iron Age. The extensive tablets and documentation of the Hittite civilization just stops around 1200 BC, just like the Mycenaean soon after and the Indus Valley civilization did before and the Minoans before. If you were an archaeologist and you were learning the history of civilization, you would find a gold mine of discoveries up until this time, and then occurs a mysterious dark ages of archaeology discoveries. Seriously, in this time frame, fire marks scar the world's ancient cities of this timeline. If there was no fire marks, there was evidence of war or abandonment. What was known of civilizations and empires was changing. When I've researched this time period, I was amazed how civilizations just stopped 
from the archaeological perspective. And it is a joy for historians to take their stab at trying to explain what happened to the planet in this time. Because truly, no one actually knows. In the next episode, I will attempt to bring all of these conclusions together and then add in the biblical history and the Jewish traditions as well. But before I conclude this episode, I want to touch on one more historical event. Near this strategically important Dardanelles, laid a city called Troy. And it's unclear if it was a Hittite, independent, or Greek colony. But it grew to about five to 10,000 people and lay at a strategic, important crossroads and became very wealthy. And in this age of destruction, she was destroyed as well. But from her ashes came some of the greatest cultural works ever written in human history. Theories abound who actually destroyed the city, but Herodotus dates the Trojan War to 1250 BC, and mysterious Homer in 850 BC would write the world-famous Iliad about the destruction of Troy by warriors from all over Greece, led by Agamemnon of Mycenae. The Iliad is a wild story written in poetic verse taught today in schools which documents the battles and myths and legends of ancient Greece. Homer was believed to be a traveling storyteller and his style is evident in his writing. But storytelling it is, it's a complex, fascinating story of Greek gods and men and their affairs in this world. I listened to the first two chapters and was considering like a Christian analysis of the work. For example, Zeus declares that no word of his can be canceled, for they are good as acted upon. Sound familiar? No word of God can return void. Interesting. The interplay of Achilles and his mother, who appears like an angel at any moment, is, is such an interesting revelation of the angelic. Apollo's firing of arrows at men, resulting in men catching a plague, which is really fascinating considering Paul's verse related to the fiery darts of the enemy coming in times of spiritual warfare. It's a different look at what is required reading in many high schools. And then to think it's a glimpse at a civilization, the Mycenae, that disappeared from history within a few hundred years. I say all that, but because it's such a big work, this was just a taste from the first two chapters. I'll try to incorporate it when we get there at 850 BC for Homer, for one of our history breaks after the ministry of Elijah. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to conclude it with one of those verses that has so much meaning it freaks me out at times from the historical perspective. In 50 AD, Apostle Paul went down to Athens from Berea to board a ship to leave Greece because his life was in danger. His companions asked him to go ahead into Athens and wait for them so that they could leave the region or Greece completely. And to think Paul would just wait around, they were deceived. Acts 17, 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began a debate with him. Some of those said, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They say this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. And they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they had said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. 
You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this description, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. All right, so this is where I get floored. I mean, really floored. Considering his audience is the Greeks and these guys who think about all these new, new ideas all the time. And can listen to what he says next. Acts 17.26 From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they could seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in time we live and move and have our being. And for some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So I have to re repeat the verse here that deals with nations. Acts 17.26 From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. According to this verse, God marked out nations and their appointed times in history and their boundaries. The historical implications of this verse are absolutely endless when considering the rise and fall of civilizations, that God marked their times and their boundaries and their lands. The God above time and space is above all people and all nations and all civilizations. Acts 17, 26. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we look at the fascinating Bronze Age collapse from a biblical perspective and the fall of empires across the globe and the beginnings of the Iron Age. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you're in a chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.